to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. What's up, you guys? I hope you're having an awesome week. I cannot believe we are approaching the end of October. It's crazy. If you haven't already watched Halloween Town, now is your chance. Now's the time. Get in there. Halloween Town. Mom's got a date with a vampire. Don't look under the bed. Phantom of the Megaplex. All the DCOMs. Hocus Pocus as well, of course. Those are my favorite Halloween movies. I was actually talking about October Halloween movies with today's guest, Joy Parrish, who I am so excited for you guys to hear from. I feel like everyone who lives in Colorado is just so awesome. Like, I don't know what it is. If you live in Colorado, you you know what you're doing. I just feel like everyone from Colorado is so real, down to earth, easy to talk to. I just, I love my Colorado friends. And speaking of my Colorado friends, I just saw Rhett and Adrian from Ned, which was so nice, celebrating the launch of the new natural cycle collection, which is amazing. If you are a woman who is looking to balance her hormones naturally, I highly recommend checking out this new line. You already know that their full-spectrum hemp oil is the only full-spectrum hemp oil I use. I use it every single day. I absolutely love it. This is the highest quality out there on the market. Most people know full-spectrum hemp oil as CBD, but this is not just CBD. It is the full-spectrum of phytocannabinoids, and that is what gives the hemp oil its power. It's the entourage effect of the CBD and all of the other compounds like CBG, CBC, CBDA, CBGA, and the hemp terpenes. All those together are what creates the magic. Full-spectrum hemp oil is amazing as an anti-inflammatory to help promote sleep, to reduce anxiety, and help with any depression, even PTSD. Great for natural pain relief and a really rich source of antioxidants. It just is amazing at helping you chill out overall. And I've seen so many people have such incredible results with this. I cannot recommend it enough. And the quality is most important to me. They only extract from the hemp flowers, also known as the buds, whereas other products usually extract from the stalks and the seeds of the hemp plant. And they only use a very gentle and slow ethanol-based extraction method done at room temperature because high heat or high pressure can totally compromise the profile of the hemp flower and the cannabinoid content. And of course, they do not use any isolates or synthetic ingredients. 
the only ingredients in Ned's full spectrum hemp oil are the CBD, the full range of phytocannabinoids, and non-GMO MCT oil. And that full spectrum hemp oil is the base of the new natural cycle collection, in addition to other herbs that will help to balance out your hormones naturally. So the hormone balance blend helps just throughout the whole month balance out your hormones, and it has 600 milligrams of premium CBD in addition to other balancing minerals and antioxidants and fatty acids. So you use that throughout the month, and then there is a period ease blend, which is specifically made to help ease any discomfort during your menstrual cycle. Those are both tinctures. And then there is the period soothe salve, which you can rub on your stomach. It also has 200 milligrams of premium CBD in there. And you can rub that on your abdomen if you have any cramps or pain. And then the Energize Roll-On, which just helps to energize your mind, your body, your spirit, so you are operating at your highest frequency. A lot of us kind of feel blah on our periods, and this helps give you that energy and just feel amazing. And since using these products, I got to use them earlier than they came out. And honestly, my periods have never been easier. They've been a lot shorter. The period soothe salve. I've used even off my period when I was just having stomach pains and it is literally magic. I put it on there and immediately my stomach pain went away. I I didn't even know that was possible. So if you're looking for a natural way to help balance out your hormones, I highly, highly recommend checking out this new collection and a portion of all proceeds from the Ned Hormone Collection is donated to Period, which is a global youth-run nonprofit that is working to end period poverty and period stigma. It's a really amazing cause, and you are helping your health in, in the process. So I just love having these natural alternatives to recommend to family, friends, clients, and you guys. And these products have changed my life every day. I use the Ned products and I cannot survive without them. So if you haven't tried these out yet, I highly, highly recommend giving them a shot. I would start with a 300 milligram full spectrum hemp oil and then work your way up. I currently use the 750, but I could totally be down for the 1500 milligram if I wanted to. I take this a few hours before bed and I just put a dropper worth under my tongue, hold it there for 30 seconds. It's really important. And then swallow it. They also have hemp infused lip balms and the body butter. So if you're looking for any body products, definitely check those out. And if you are intrigued as you should be, then just go to helloned.com and you can use my discount code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Again, that's helloned.com and my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S will get you 15% off. But back to today's guest, one of my other Colorado friends, Joy Parrish. So Joy is one of the co-hosts of Girls Gone Wad podcast, which is OG podcast. Her and Claire have been podcasting for such a long time, and their show was one of the first shows I found when I first started getting into the podcast space. And we finally met in person for the first time last year at the Podcast Hard event in Tahoe that Mind Pump through, and I was on their podcast. So if you haven't already heard that episode, it's episode 282 on Girls Gone Wad. So give that one a listen. I just love their show because it's just like listening 
to your girlfriends and they chat about all the things. So they talk about fitness, CrossFit, of course, health, wellness, but a lot of, you know, like mindset and just girl talk and life, the things that they're going through in life. It's just one of those really, I guess, comforting shows that I feel like you can just always go back to. And you just feel like you're talking to friends and hanging out with girlfriends or like a fly on the wall. And I know a lot of you enjoy this podcast because you feel like that. So if you don't already listen to Girls Gone Wad, you definitely should because you will love their show. But we have been trying to schedule a recording for them to come on here for quite some time and just, you know, things get crazy, it never lined up. And then finally, Joy and I were able to record. So I was just so happy and grateful to have her on the show. Not only is she an amazing podcast host, but she is also a licensed mental health therapist. So I think that really helps her bring such a unique and insightful perspective into a lot of today's discussion and just everything they talk about on their show. Today we talk a lot about Joy's history with overtraining, um, restricting around macros and kind of that the whole macro community and her evolution with body image and confidence. And I just know so many of you will relate to this. And of course, we talk all about podcasting, kind of how the space has changed. And I think it's cool to hear her perspective because she and Claire have just been doing this for so long and they've seen the space change a lot over the years. So I know you guys are going to love this and I'm super excited for you to hear it. And of course, you can go to iTunes and find Girls Gone Wad. You can go to girlsgonewadpodcast.com and find Joy and Claire on Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. So make sure you connect with them further there. Listen to all of their episodes. You'll have plenty to binge on. You'll love it. But for now, let's go ahead and hop into this chat with Joy Parrish. I am very excited to talk to you, Joy. It's been too long. It's been way too long. How are you doing? I am doing very well. I'm very excited. We, okay, I swear we said we are going to record, like, that was over a year ago. Yeah, it was way too long ago. And then here we are. Yeah, and we met in person for the first time at the Mind Pump event in Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that was, was so fun. That actually was about a year ago, wasn't it? Was it, it you know what? It was. It was the end of September, and Claire and I were just reviewing this because while we were in Whistler recently, she's like, this was the weekend we were in Tahoe for Mind Pump. I'm like, that is so crazy. That is crazy. So that does crazy. not feel that, that far away. I know. I know. We're, we're all of a sudden those two girls being like, time flies, and I it know. does. <laughs> well, I feel like for me, this year has gone by so fast. I don't know what happened, but... I don't yeah. know if you had that experience. Um. I have absolutely had that experience. And I feel like I say that every year, but I just feel like an extra push for that this year. It just yeah. feels really, really scary fast. So I'm just going to put a uh, call out to, to the time gods to just slow it down for a minute. <laughs> I will, so we can I just will catch up. That. I will Great. second that. I was just saying the other day, I had this list of like three things I wanted to do over summer. And and then I was like, wait, it's definitely not summer anymore. And I did not even touch those. Yeah. Um, So that's a little Like, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're into October. But I want people to get to know you in case some of them, in case some of my listeners don't already listen to Girls Gone Wild, which I don't know why they wouldn't. But for people who aren't familiar with you, why don't you just like tell my listeners a little bit about you and what you do? 
Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I want to say hi, listeners, and I'm sure there's a bazillion podcasts you have to choose from. So it's uh, we take no offense when people are like, I don't even know who you guys are. But we also want to make sure people understand that we've been around before podcasts were cool. So we're kind of like the podcast godmothers. And uh, we started in 2013. So my co-host name is Claire, and I am Joy. And we started Girls Gone Wad in 2013. I was a podcast early adapter, adopter. I always confuse the two. Um, I was listening to podcasts before they were even on the radar of society. And so I just remember looking around. I was really into CrossFit at the time. I've always been into fitness. Um, I kind of grew up being an active person, but, um, you know, I was listening to podcasts going, gosh, there's really not a lot of voices in the female fitness space, in the fitness space with female voices. And so, I had, I was writing a blog at the time, as was my co-host. I knew her through our gym, and not we didn't know each other very well. We we constantly joked that we just didn't know how we knew each other, or well, we knew how we knew each other, but we didn't even know how we had each other's phone numbers. So we're like, we kind of knew each other peripherally, but how did we have each other's phone numbers? And the reason I say that is because I texted Claire one day, and I said, do you listen to podcasts? And she's like, not really. And I said, do you want to start one? And she's like, sure. <laughs> so... I mean, it's almost comical how our podcast started because you think of it now and there's podcast classes and podcast incubators and podcast blogs and podcasts about how to start a podcast where Claire and I just blindly jumped into this world and Girls Gone Wad is still going strong weekly. uh, You know, six years later, we've been recording every week or we've been releasing podcasts every week for six years. And so it's pretty unreal how uh, we continue to do this week after week. So just for your listeners, our podcast is... It really started out as kind of a CrossFit-based fitness podcast, but it's really morphed into a lifestyle, talking about life, personal journal type of podcast. So Claire and I, you know, shoot the shit every week, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. We have on great guests as well, but the best compliment we can get is people saying, gosh, when I listen to your podcast, it just feels like I'm sitting in a room with my girlfriends gossiping. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the feel of what we go for. We are not, you know, we're not the facts-based, science-based, here's the best diet of the week. We're very like, this is the real life of what's going on in the fitness space. Um, But also in life space, I practice uh, my day job, my full-time job as a mental health therapist. So I talk a lot about mental health because that's just my jam. Claire talks about, you know, everything she's gone through with her, um, you know, she's gone through a lot with uh, developing helping her family and her career. And so there's a lot of kind of just relational things that we can talk about and that our listeners really connect to. And that's what we really pride ourselves on is we've had a slow and steady growth and that our listenership is really, really committed. So we don't have this insane amount of listenership, but we have really dedicated listeners. So it's kind of like the quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but we have a pretty good fan base, or I should say listenership at this point. That's just so, it's so much fun. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Yeah, you guys have such a great community, and what your podcast has always reminded me of is kind of like, you know one of those TV shows that's just kind of like about life, and it just makes you feel like at home and welcome? It's like Gilmore Girls. Like, Oh, totally. You know, it's like that's like how I feel when I listen. Um, and you guys, that's such a good description. Yeah. Like, you know, just like that kind of feeling like you're not like watching a documentary or like a scary movie. It's like, you just want to watch something that makes you feel like you're like (laughs) in the life, you know, we're totally the comfort show, the comfort food for your ears. That's great. Yeah. I love Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I, you were one of the first shows I found when I found podcasts a couple years ago. And even then I felt like there weren't even that many podcasts out, even though they're 
were, but you guys are seriously OG. It was like I found like Ben Greenfield and like Balanced Bites and your podcast. Yeah. Um, and there weren't I mean still I feel like there aren't really that many women in in like the fitness space, like groups. Right. Yeah. Or they're just, I mean, no offense to all the podcasts out there, but there's just a lot of the same kind of content where Mm -hmm. Claire and I really kind of, we've always been, and we always will be just true to our dynamic. And that's something that I think is not really, you know, you can't find anywhere else. And so we really love that. That's a special uniqueness about what we do. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about the podcast space right now, because I'm curious, you're thoughts on this how you're talking about how they're you know podcasts about podcasts and blogs about podcasts and it's turned into kind of this systematic approach I feel like to launching one and everyone has one yes and so I think there's there's so many we talk a lot about this by the way we we have a great uh podcast house (laughs) it's called house of pod in Denver where they help podcasts they help launch podcasts they help record podcasts so we do a lot of talks there to kind of give people an idea of what they need to be doing to start their podcast. And so what's really interesting for Claire and I is we constantly are saying, you know, don't do what we did because we clearly just kind of jumped into this blindly. Whereas now it really is a systematic calculated approach, which I think is really important because the space has changed so changed so much that you kind of have to do that. Whereas Claire and I grew with the brands and mm-hmm. we, we grew, grew with the space. Um, now you kind of have to be really mindful about what you're doing if you get into the podcast pool. Look, I think it's great that people have voices and different voices and I think there's space for everyone. But I think that because it's so popular now and that quote unquote, everyone has a podcast, I think people then uh, misunderstand it to be easy. Mm-hmm. And it is not. <laughs> and so I think the idea of people going into it thinking that they just kind of, well, everyone's doing it so I can do it. That's great and all, but I think folks don't really understand the long game. Mm-hmm. Where at, And by that, I just mean that they don't understand that it takes a lot to produce. It takes a lot to put content out. It, it takes a lot to create unique content if you're going to do every week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it kind of, you have to be, I think, a little more mindful about why you want to do it and your intention behind it, because it sounds great, but it is a lot of work and it sounds fun, but are you willing to put it, put in the work to, do the thing that you want to do. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like I hear that over and over again. Someone will say, oh, I'm starting a podcast. And they go, great. And then they'll come back to me two months later and they go, I did not realize how much time and how hard it is. And yeah. I'm just like, yeah. Like it's, yeah. you know, it, it's a time investment. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. But at the same time, I... Claire and I don't have to spend a lot of time doing it anymore because we've become so good at it. And that, mm-hmm. and I just mean efficient. I'm not saying we're, we're the best of the best, but we're just efficient at what we do. And it's just a very, uh, we're, we got very lucky that we're working together. We both are extremely different, which I think is a huge benefit to our show because then we, we, we reach a larger audience because more people can relate to what Claire's going through or what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And then we have unique guests on. And so, I think the other important thing for people to understand is that when you're creating content, yeah, it does take a lot a lot of work, but we've practiced over the years that to create content, we could literally just call each other up right now and record an hour and have a show and I could edit it and produce it and have it done within a couple hours. Whereas I think now 
if you're just starting, I mean, that could take 10 to 15 hours a week just to kind of get the, get the train going. But once you're up and running, I think it's, it's obviously going to be a little bit easier, but I think it's just it, because there's so many out there now, like I said, I think it just, the idea of it seems like it's easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people just need to be a little more mindful about going into it and the whys, which I think is really valuable. If people are thinking of starting a podcast, definitely listen to the podcasts out there that are about starting a podcast. Yeah, I think that's really valuable content. I think that's really valuable information because then it will get you to think about what you want to do and why you want to do it. Yeah, 100%. And I love how you're talking about how people starting a podcast now probably need to use a different approach than than the people who started at the very beginning because it's such a different space. Oh, it's so different. Yeah. And we, we definitely speak to that when we do our in-person Q and A's, uh, about starting a podcast. It's just, the space is just so totally different. Whereas Claire often says this, and I completely agree with her that if we were to, if we knew six years ago that what we were getting into was weekly releasing of a podcast, mm-hmm. For six years, if someone was to say, okay, if you guys are going to start this, you're going to have to release a show every week for six, for the next six years, we would have been like, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. You know? So I think, (laughs) I think the fact that we went into this blindly and we had no idea where it was going to go was really to our benefit. Yeah. Uh, cause I don't think we would have committed. I think we would have probably chickened out. Yeah, probably. So what have you learned in terms of efficiency? And like, how do you guys divvy up the tasks? Well, that's another thing that we just got super darn lucky, which again, is probably going to annoy most people, but (laughs) I I am, you know, I kind of took on the role of editing, of recording, editing, and, you know, doing all the technical sound stuff with the podcast and um, producing that side of it. Whereas Claire does a lot of the content writing. Her expertise really is in marketing, online marketing. And she, so she knows that very well. And so she does a lot of our, our writing, um, anything that kind of has to do with Facebook ads or Instagram content, she's really good at. And so that's where we kind of divvy up that piece and it, it just works really well. Um, and again, we've worked well, we've worked together for so long that we can kind of speak or, or, um, read each other's minds. And so it's kind of like, Hey, can you do this this week? Sure. So we've kind of just like, you know, we have down, we have a system down that just kind of balanced out naturally. But, um, you know, certainly there's times where I pick up more slack or she picks up more slack. Um, and we never really kind of have to, you know, we're never really kind of, um, you know, keeping score, so to speak. And and really when you're, if you are choosing to do something like this, where you're working with someone, you got to realize it's kind of like working as a marriage. Yeah. You really have to be open to hearing each other. You have to to listen. You have to, you know, you get frustrated, you get mad at each other, but it's just at the end of the day, you're like, well, this is just because we're working so close together. Um, and that's why we've lasted so long. Cause we both understand that and we support one another. So, um, but as far as the divvying up of the work, it's just that kind of naturally happened in such a beautiful way. And, and, uh, now at this point being efficient, it just means that I could edit a podcast real quick if I needed to and get it up, you know, within a couple hours if it, if we were like in a time crunch. Um, but I think people going into it too, you just have to be, uh, you have to kind of go back to your mission statement of why I think a lot of people will produce content thinking about what's going to get the most likes and what's going to get the most downloads. And I guarantee you that will backfire. You cannot go into starting a podcast with that attitude. You have to go in with what are you passionate about? What do you love talking about? What do you, um, 
what could you do, you know, effortlessly without even thinking about? And that's where I think that efficiency piece will come in. Otherwise, you're just going to sit there for hours and hours and hours trying to come up with an episode being like, well, I, I don't know what I should do this week and kind of being at a loss for content. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that way yeah. ever. It feels like it feels like you've been like you've hit your groove and you know how to produce content pretty quickly. Yeah, I definitely am in a system like so I've been it's almost been four years now that I've been doing this. So but and it, I did I had another podcast for a year with a partner as well. So I it's been interesting for me to see the difference between like working myself and with someone else. Um, and I'm so type A, it's just so much easier for me to do it myself because I can just pump it out when I need to. Uh-huh. Um, but there was definitely I think that at the beginning, you know, it took a lot more time and now it's a lot faster. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I'm in my groove now, but it definitely it's still a time commitment and I'm very similar to you guys in the sense of like I have a really dedicated audience. I'm not, you know, top 50 podcasts, but I have such a dedicated loyal audience and they've been with me the whole time. Um and that community is so important to me. And I think like something I wanted to ask you is what like how did you cultivate such a strong community, do you think? I think it comes down to, and you probably know this, Christina, is just your genuine love for what you do and your yeah. genuine personality. And I people see through crap and people see through BS and people see through, I think over time, Claire and I talk about this a lot as well in our show, is just the Instagram filter lifestyle. People are getting smart and now they know what what is not real and what is real. Mm-hmm. And so throughout our entire podcast, we've just been normal humans trying to figure out our lives and we're not trying to promote this polished, perfect lifestyle. We talk about difficulties in our marriages. We talk about difficulties in our friendships. We talk about difficulties and struggles with eating. Um, and so I think people really can relate to that. And then you join, you create a community, create a community that's really genuine, just as genuine. Um, so I think that that piece of, if you're going into and again, I'm not just assuming everyone wants to start a podcast, but I think a lot of people think about it mm-hmm. is if you're going into it, you really can't go into it thinking that you want to be in the top 50 podcasts. That's just very rare. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, the chances of you winning the lottery or becoming an actor like a, you know, a Oscar winning actor. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just kind of rare these days because the pool is so big. Uh, you just, you go into it because you love it. And that's what Claire and I have always said at the end of the day, we're going to keep doing this because we love it. And I think our audience just really reflects that. And it's, I I don't want to just be like, Oh, it's because we're real because you know, what does that exactly mean? But I think we just, from our life experiences, we speak about it from our heart. We are honest about it in a way that feels comfortable to talk about, and we're just very supportive of, of everyone. You know, we're welcoming, we're open to hearing ideas. Um, we did our first in-person event. I want to say it was like, you know, our, our, our 100 episode party mm-hmm. and there's maybe 30 people there. And then when we did our 200 episode party, there was like 200 people there. Wow. And so just kind of even from one episode 100 to 200 was a, a huge grow, you know, growth of people attending our little party. And just the pe- we look around and we're like, wow, this is, it's just good people. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't get crazy trolls or comments, negative comments, which sometimes we're like, are we playing it too safe? Cause sometimes if you don't get negative comments, it's like, are you really putting yourself out there? Yeah. But no, I mean, we just have really good people 
that we bring into our tribe and that we just, we want it to stay that way. You know, we'd love for it to keep growing, but we just want the right people on our side. Yeah. Well, and because when you're really showcasing your true personality and your life, like these people become your friends. They wouldn't stick with you unless, you know, there's something that you guys align on. So you're naturally exactly. attracting good people who are like We're, you. Exactly. We're attracting people that are like us and that's how we want it. We're not in it to say we want to make a, you know, Joe Rogan style top podcast and make millions of dollars. I mean, would that be great? Awesome. Yes. But we want it with the people that we want in our, in our, in our corner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just kind of what our focus is. And our focus has never been about making money off the podcast, which, you know, is another topic that we can talk about if you wanted to, but I think people going into it to make money, it's a hard thing to do. We never went into it with that. We do get sponsorships that kind of cover all of our expenses for podcasting, but we don't do it for like to cover our livelihood. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, I think that you know, I, that's why I always ask people, why do you want to start it? Like how you're mm-hmm. saying, if you want to start it to be top 50 or if you want to start to make money, you're probably not going to just because you have that intention. <laughs> exactly. You're right. You, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's, you're just going about it backwards and it is a little bit of just a, a wish and a prayer to say, mm-hmm. if you really want to do it, do it for the right reasons. I don't think people really want to hear that. Yeah. It's the same reason they say, like, don't go out for acting unless you would do it without being paid. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, every actor would every, – every, every, let me rephrase that. Like every Hollywood famous top, you know, 10 in the People magazine actor would probably tell you don't do it if you're out to make money because it is such a hard business. That's kind of how I feel – not that I've ever been in that position in Hollywood, but I feel like it's similar in podcasting. Yeah, 100%. I am curious because you guys have a good mix of like, you know, guests and then just you. Um, in terms of guests, are there any guests who stand out in your mind as like that episode was really impactful or really challenging or really changed my beliefs? Um, you mean like a guest we've had on our show? Yeah. Mm, let me think. We as far as challenging, <laughs> to be honest, Christina, I think the cha- the challenging guests were not challenging in a bad way, but challenging when we were at the mind pump event. Mm. Um, I think there were some people we had on the show that were like, wow, we would never have you on our show. Mm. Um, but we had to kind of find some ground that we could all talk about. And I thought that was a really good way for them to design that event just because it forced us into a position where we were like, okay, let's, how would we approach this? We don't, this is not someone we maybe would have on our show, but we're going to see if we can find a really good conversation. And it actually turned out really well. But at the same time, there were some guests that were like, wow, we totally disagree with this person on almost every level, but it was a good conversation to have because Mm -hmm. I don't think it's good to always agree with everyone. Um, so it really made us also think about the approach we take with guests to say, we don't want to have all of our guests be the same the same mindset as us. We want to bring people on that challenge our thinking, challenge other people's thinking and belief. Um, not in a, not in a sense of like we're trying to be controversial and have arguments, but to open our minds to thinking in a different way about something. So I would say that you know when we did that experience at Tahoe for the Mind Pump, uh, the, the podcast heart event, that was that was a good challenge for us. Yeah. I felt the same. For example, yeah. well, actually one of my most popular episodes is my episode with Jordan Shallow. And oh yeah. When, when I, did you guys record with him at the event? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we just like, 
I think people loved it because we were like sparring, you know. Yeah, and, you, you guys were really getting after it. Yeah, that's really funny because we both had that kind of personality. Um, and yeah, it was it was hilarious. And I just remember thinking, I have no idea how, how this is going to go and how we're going <laughs> to find common ground. As he literally says on the podcast episode that he thinks every kid should be shoved into a locker when they're a child. And oh yeah, he told he said the same thing as us where he's like, some people just need to get punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> and we were like. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, I, this is going to be an issue, you know? And um, so, and then he's talking about how the word wellness isn't a real word. And I'm just like, honestly, okay, but... Like tearing apart your brand. Yeah. You're like, well, my brand says, yeah. <laughs> but it was super interesting. I think people got a kick out of it. And a lot of people tell me that's one of their favorite episodes. So yeah, it just yeah. goes to show, you know? Um, But I want to kind of get back into what, what got you into fitness and CrossFit to begin with? Have you always been active? Well, it's really funny. I never thought I was never a sporty spice person, but, um, as a kid, I, I got into dance. That was a safe thing for me. I was never confident enough to get into organized sports like softball or soccer, uh, swimming. I, there was a confidence in me that was just terrified of being, um, the pressure or, you know, if I was at bat and it was up to me to score, I just could not mentally handle that as a child. I was just terrified of that pressure. So, but I did want to be active and I loved to watch people dance. And so I joined dance. I did dance my entire life, um, through high school. I was a cheerleader. I even danced in college for a bit for the football team. And so I was really into that, uh, activity level. And then when I was in college, I just, you know, found the fitness center and started working out because we were really active as dancers and it was just really important to keep up <laughs> to, uh, just stay in shape, you know, mm-hmm. especially on the off seasons. So I would go to the rec center all the time. I got into running and then in grad school, I mean, so, so like, kind of like as I went forward, I just kept my fitness up. Like I was always just a fit, a fitness related person. I was involved in some way, shape or form. So mm-hmm. throughout my whole life, you could just say I was like, a you know, involved. And then when I went to grad school, I had a, a really good friend that was like, we should do a half marathon. I'm like, what are you, what are you crazy? I didn't really get the whole, you know, distance running thing. I liked to run, but I never really, uh, got into that space. And so she really introduced me into, to distance running. I really got into that for a few years. So I just kind of, you know, uh, picked and chewed, uh, you know, I flip-flopped into things that I, I really enjoyed at the time. And so running was one of them, distance running. And then, you know, you just kind of get sick of things. At least for me, I like to change things up. And so eventually I, uh, had a friend who did CrossFit, but no one knew what CrossFit was at the time. This was like 2007 before it was even a thing thing. And we did CrossFit out of like a little garage gym. And so, um, I was doing it with like this small group of people that I worked with. And eventually they're like, you need to, you need to find a CrossFit gym. Like we only have so much equipment here, (laughs) which was nothing. We were like barely using any equipment. And funny, I was running training for a marathon through my neighborhood and I saw a CrossFit gym pop up, which was again, one of the first in Denver, which is like now there's one on every corner, Mm -hmm. but, um, that's how I got into it. And I joined and I loved it and I've been doing it ever since. And it's not my, like my first 
it's not the only thing I'm doing right now. Like I definitely have incorporated other things into my fitness life. Um, just because CrossFit's really intense and it's not something I really, my body just doesn't love doing every single day, nor should it do every single day, but I really still like to move. So I incorporate it here and there. Um, still really involved in the community because CrossFit has a great community, but that's kind of the quick and dirty version of how I evolved into the CrossFit space. So what do you think shifted in you? I think it's interesting how um, you were saying when you were younger, you couldn't put, you didn't really want to have the pressure of, you know, like going up and batting, but dance is a lot of pressure and CrossFit is also, you know, more (laughs) of a sport, I think. Yeah. Um, Well, it's really funny because I dance, I can hide in a group. mm -hmm. So I was always in a team, you know, I wasn't, I I mean, I guess cheer, I mean, but you're never, no one's ever really relying on just you to do something. Mm -hmm. You have a whole group that you're dependent on and you're doing it together. So that's why I think I was comfortable with that. But then as I got older um, and joined CrossFit, I, I think I kind of realized that I'm a really, I'm a really good athlete. Like I, I, I just, I never, you know, it was one of those things where I look back, I'm like, damn, I would have been so good at swimming or I would have been so good at volleyball because I have these shoulders that can just knock people over. And you know what I mean? Like you look back, I'm like, man, I wish I had the confidence back then to really put my body to do something really sport related because I am just really athletic athletically built by nature. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, since I was 14, people would ask me if I was a volleyball player or a swimmer because I just have the build for it. But I was like, no, I'm a dancer. Uh, So I don't look like a dancer. I look, you know what I mean? So I kind of think back and I'm like, oh, I wish I had the confidence to do it. But, you know, now I think it's really cool because now I can kind of live out that old dream of being an athlete because I am, I feel really good at it. Um, and now I guess I have the confidence because I'm just doing it for myself Yeah. <laughs> that I'm like, yeah. And I've done like little competitions here and there and I get a little nervous, but it's just now I'm like, oh, I can finally put my body to use for what it was like meant to do, which is yeah. lift a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I expected you to have done every sport when you're yeah. younger because you're just so athletic. Yeah. yeah. And I look like it. Like mm-hmm. if you were to, if you were just look at me on the street, be like, "Wow, I bet you she played sports as a kid." You know, I'm just yeah. like, so it always surprises people. I'm like, "No, I was a dancer," which no one would guess I was a dancer. I just don't look like it. I hope you guys are enjoying this chat with Joy Parrish. We are just about to get into the juicy part of the conversation, the deep part of the conversation. And before we get into all of that, I want to tell you guys about today's sponsor. Blue Blocks. I am currently wearing my Sleep Plus lenses because I'm recording this intro at 8.07 p.m. That's how I roll. And blue light blocking glasses are such a small change that I made that has made a huge difference on how I feel. It's made a huge difference on my sleep, my hormones, my hunger during the day, my eyes. My eyes used to get so tired because I look at screens all day and I just cannot even tell you how big a difference this makes. Oh, and headaches, of course. We are inundated with blue light. Our circadian rhythms get all off because we have lights on when it's dark outside and our bodies are like, is it day? Is it night? It doesn't know when to send out the proper hormones. So it's just a big confusion, which is why everyone should really get a pair of high quality blue light blocking glasses. And I've been wearing blue blockers for a few years now, and I literally did not even understand how much of a benefit I could get until I got real ones, which were these blue blocks. I was always using the orange glasses that 
I, I thought were really helping me and they were giving me a little bit of benefit, but not the way these blue blocks do. It's truly a red lens. These are the only true 100% blue and green light blocking lenses for after sunset use. So these are the glasses you want to put on after the sun goes down to help with your sleep, to help calm you down, relax you, reduce any anxiety, and promote the proper secretion of hormones in the evening. If you haven't already listened to episode 230 with Andy Mant, the founder of Blue Blocks, he goes into the science behind all of this, but you really, really just want to make sure that you're blocking the full blue and green light spectrum that needs to be blocked because most glasses are only blocking part of it, so you're not getting the benefits. Between these red lenses, the Sleep Plus and their Remedy Sleep Mask, which is a 100% blackout sleep mask that is I have no, I have no words for it. I I thought I had tried a sleep mask and I never had until until this remedy sleep mask and I was recently at this convention and they had a few 100% blocking sleep masks and I tried them on and I was like this literally has nothing on remedy. Like people are marketing it as that and they're not. So I cannot recommend the remedy mask enough. You put it on and it is truly blackout and it makes a huge difference when I sleep because we don't realize how when we're sleeping, some of the light, like, you know, maybe from the bathroom, if someone gets up or from like trickling in through the blinds, that's the big one for me that just gets in to your eyes and it does disrupt your sleep. Or even if my phone lights up in the middle of the night because I get random notifications, my phone isn't on so I can't hear it, but sometimes it it lights up and then I notice that I wake up. Yeah, I can't see that anymore. So this has been huge for sleep. And then during the day, you definitely want to try out either their blue light or their summer glow lenses. So the blue light clear lens is a blue light filtering lens for during the day. That's best for people who have a little bit of natural light coming in. And this is really going to help prevent any migraines, headaches, macular degeneration, digital eye strain. Those are the lenses that I use. But then there's also the summer glow, which is better for people who work under really intense artificial lighting. And it's also blue light blocking meets color therapy. So if you struggle with any type of anxiety, depression, these are great because they block the portion of blue light that's responsible for the health issues and they also help to uplift your mood thanks to the color therapy. So not only are these glasses scientifically backed, these are the only 100% scientifically backed glasses out there. They have been tested to make sure they are blocking the exact spectrum necessary, not more, not less, and other companies will just block part of it or even too much sometimes, which can cause issues, which Andy explains in episode 230. But they are very fashionable. They're not ugly glasses. There are over 20 different frame styles that you can pick from, which I love. I have two different frames and they look like cute glasses. I get compliments on them all the time. And you can also send in your own frames if you want. So if you have a pair of glasses that you love and you want to turn into blue light blockers, you could just send them in. And if you're not sure if you should get the blue light or the summer glow daytime lens, then just email customer support. You can just contact them on their website and one of the founders, Andy or Katie, will respond. They will let you know exactly which ones to choose. So there are just so many options. These glasses will make a huge difference on your health. It's a one-time investment 
And trust me, you will notice a huge difference. I also love their social mission because they do partner with Restoring Vision. So for every pair of blue blocks they sell, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision, who then gifts those reading glasses to someone in need. It's an amazing company and I cannot live without these glasses. So if you want to get a pair for yourself, I highly recommend, or for someone else, it's a great gift for the holidays coming up, then just go to blueblocks.com. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use my code wellness for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S will get you 15% off. And if you're interested in learning more about how to hack your light and you've listened to episode 230, make sure you also check out the recent blog post on my site that Andy Guest wrote, and it's all about the top 10 ways to hack your light consumption for optimal health and wellness. So he gets into other things you can do to just manage how light is affecting your body. Lots to learn about and think about. And now that you know why you need some blue light blocking glasses, let's go ahead and hop back into this conversation with Joy Parrish. Do you miss dance? I do. I do miss, um, I miss doing like hip hop classes. I always try to look for one around here. And I know there's really great dance studios for adults in Denver. Mm -hmm. And I just need to make it over there one day because I do really, really miss it. And it's hard. Like whenever I've taken dance classes, there used to be one at uh, one of our fitness centers a couple of years ago, and I would take it regularly. And I'm like, man, dancing is no joke. It is so hard. (laughs) It is very hard. I, yeah, so I miss yeah. it. Yeah, no, dancing is like one of the hardest things. And it is really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um I was I wanted to know how that impacted your body image. Because I feel like dance often, you know, really can mess with a girl's body image and I would love to know more about your experience. Oh, he just opened up a can of worms. Um That's what I wanted. <laughs> It really messed me up and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was probably, so I grew up in a family that was like so just neutral, supportive, like no, there was no weird stuff around food or bodies in my family. So I always kind of try to trace this back because as a therapist, I like to self-analyze, but I was like, I look back and I'm like, oh, it was, it was the dance. It was the dance and it was the cheer that really killed my body image. <laughs> um, so I would just be, beware if you have a child in dance or cheer to really be aware of that. Um, I, it was horrible. I'm, I don't know what how else to say it. You're, I was constantly surrounded by girls and I think it's because I didn't look like a dancer. So and what does a dancer look like in my mind? Uh, you know, long and lean, I guess, if you're going to, you know, try to describe it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tall, but I'm very muscular. Mm-hmm. And so I always kind of felt like I was the bigger, quote unquote, bigger. And I'm saying all these words for your listeners, too. I'm just, that was what was going through my mind at the time. I'm not saying that this is how I would describe it now. But um I felt like, you know, I was the base as a cheerleader. So I was the one at the bottom throwing people around. And uh, as a dancer, I was very, very insecure of wearing the skimpy costumes. Nothing was wrong with my body, by the way, but this is what I felt. So it really was hard. And I would be around all these beautiful dancer bodies. 
um, that just had the confidence and the skill level that I just really, really felt like I didn't have. So I was always trying to hide and I was trying to kind of cover myself. And, you know, as a cheerleader, of course, you're wearing skimpy, skimpy uniforms and, it wasn't so much cheer. Like I felt, when I look back, I'm like, I never really felt body uh, issues with cheer, but with dance I did. Cause I did both. I did, I was on the cheer team and the dance team. And so um, it just was hard. It was really, really hard. And then over the years, I think I just kind of spiraled into now um, you know, the, the quote unquote typical, you know, after you go to college, the fear of God that society puts in you, that you're going to gain weight in college that just, put me into this like exercise bulimia spiral. Um, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It's, it's taken years for me to kind of work through and I'm 42 now. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, as you get older, you wise up, but, um, it's been a lifelong journey for me. That's probably one of my big, uh, struggles in life. And my, I call it an assignment, meaning that's just something in life you're going to have to deal with and learn about. And that's probably one of my life assignments is to, um, really come to terms with the uh, body confidence and body image. Yeah. Well, I think this is something that every woman listening to this thinks about. Um, and I'm curious if, you know, going back to when you were doing DS and cheer, do you feel like a lot of that was just thoughts coming up in your own head or did anyone ever say anything to you? No one ever said anything to me, okay. but you learn kind of quickly. Um, I think what you learn quickly is that maybe the comments flying around, mm -hmm. uh, whether it be comments about other girls' bodies. Mm -hmm. I don't ever remember someone commenting about my body, mm -hmm. which is really weird because I'm like, then how did this get into my head? But I think it's just the information that you would see on magazines, you know, like the things that we're seeing on Instagram now um, that the younger generation is faced with constant ads about diet pills and diet teas, which I'm loving that Facebook and Instagram are banning those ads. Um, and... I think it was just, again, looking at magazine images and seeing those girls that were models at 14. I'm like, wow, they're models at 14. And the images were just like, wow, I don't look like that. So I didn't see a diverse representation of body sizes when I was younger. Um, it was all that kind of skinny model um, era. Mm -hmm. The Kate the Kate Moss era, you know, the very, 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 very dangerously, I would uh, classify dangerously thin um, models. And, you know, then that was like the grunge era, uh, was kind of, <laughs> I always kind of joke where I'm like, man, I, when I was a teenager, the grunge era was like the worst era because you just covered your body in, in flannel. But, um, <laughs> but I don't remember it being something specific of people teasing me. I never felt bullied. I look back with, in my high school experience with such adoration because it was so such an amazing experience. However, the body image stuff, I was just surrounded by females who constantly talked about it, mm -hmm. um, would comment about food or would comment about bodies or would comment about people in movies that they wanted to look like and always uh, trying to get skinny. I remember that kind of floated around a lot. It's like, oh, I just want to be skinny. Mm -hmm. um, so looking back, I mean, I had no idea, Christina, about like diet and exercise as a teenager. Yeah. I drank I, I drank like Dr. Peppers and ate Snickers every day. I just didn't know anything about it. I didn't real I didn't realize that you know what you put in your mouth is you know how it affects your health. That just that's not in your. It should not be on your radar as a teenager, quite frankly. So it wasn't so much that. It was just more about like 
so-and-so is so skinny. And so you're kind of start registering these things as like your self-worth. It's just a, it was, it was bizarre because it, it was nothing that was like directed towards me. Yeah. No, I, I felt the same way. It was more of just like hearing everyone else's comments about other people. And it really scares me what's happening right now with people who are in middle school and high school. And I think, yeah. you know, I didn't have Instagram when I was in middle school or high school. Um, yeah. It was like my senior year of high school, but really not until college when I used it. And I'm curious, as a, as a therapist, you know, how how can we support these girls who are in middle school and high school and dealing with social media where people are, you know, adjusting their body sizes in, in pictures? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think you can bypass it, to be quite honest. I think it's I, – I don't think we can police the internet and I don't think we can save our children from uh, – or we can – uh, completely, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think you can, you can't um, avoid it. You can't avoid it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, my brain's fried. Um, you can't avoid it. You can't protect them from it. You can't, you know, make sure that that's never going to come on the radar. It's, you have to assume it will come on the radar, but I'd like to take the Brene Brown approach. If anyone out there wants to read her parenting manifesto, it is amazing. And it basically says that you are not, here to be a parent to completely block your child. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but go on and on her website and read it. it. You're not, you know, here to completely protect your child from any harm. I mean, yes, in the sense, but you're not there to completely, you know, um, avoid any harm in their life. You are there to build up their confidence and teach them how to be a resilient human and to. Um, know that they are worthy of love and belonging. Mm-hmm. So I think if you take the approach of you're trying to protect them and take out all the, you know, put filters on Instagram to avoid all the pictures about body, or uh, you know, unhealthy body image or whatever, you're going to go down a really exhausting path. But so building up your children to where they see that, but their thought is not, I'm not good enough. Their thought is, if, if they have that thought to then be surrounded by people who are going to lift them up and mm-hmm. say, yeah, that really sucks that we see all this and body confidence is a difficult thing, but being surrounded by people who can walk the walk and be like, yeah, we struggle with it. And we know that we're better than this mm-hmm. and that we know that that's, you know, those negative body, uh, talk words in our minds, those are liars, you know, so on and so forth. So I think, it's it's a longer conversation, I think, to have, which is why I'm struggling with my words. But I think that that Brene Brown Parenting Manifesto sums it up quite nicely to um, prepare our to prepare girls to be confident in that way that these things are going to come across. But how you handle it is know that you are an amazing being and that we're all diverse and to have um, diverse body sizes in our in our view, uh, diversify your Instagram feed, those types of things, but to not be naive, to think that we can completely save them from it because it's just, it's, it's a huge, huge monster out there and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, I think it helps that people are just talking about it more, um, and bringing it up because I always think, you know, if I was in high school and I had heard some of these conversations that oh, totally. I have now, it would have really helped me and also realize that I didn't have to be around people who talked about, their bodies all the time because like right. I, I remember I you know I had specific friends who just always talked about the way they looked the way other people looked and I didn't have to be around that Hmm. right and I think the other thing is uh to answer that question is to surround your 
especially teenagers, around them with caring adults that have really healthy body images mm-hmm. and really don't even make it an issue, mm-hmm. you know? So um, it doesn't have to be the parents. It doesn't have to be the parent figures. It could be coaches. It could be teachers. It could be, you know, other family members, grandmothers, aunts, uncles that just can, really can take them under their wing and make sure that they're lifting them up. I always tell parents I work with here is like, you know, you don't have to have that burden of be, having being the end-all be-all for your child. Like surround them with as many positive adults in their lives. That is what makes a huge difference for kids. It's really underestimated. Um, and I don't want to go off too much on, on that tangent, but it's a huge benefit to children to have caring adults surrounding them. Yeah, 100%. And I think just keeping the conversation open. Like, yeah. I remember just like, I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really big piece because I didn't really talk about this at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't comfortable talking about it, but I talked to, you know, like my aunt was a safe place I could talk to and that really felt good. Yeah. Well, walk me through a little more your relationship with exercise and food during like the running era and the CrossFit era. During it's well, this is where social media kind of rears its ugly head. Cause when I was running, I didn't really pay attention. Mm. Uh, I didn't really, and again, this was back when I was in college. And so diet and exercise really wasn't like, I mean, there are diets things out there, but it wasn't on my radar. Cause I was so active that I, I didn't, I didn't understand that like a plus B equals C. I just knew that I liked to run because I was like a stress reliever yeah. while I was in college. I liked to be active. It just felt good for my body, but I never felt like this. Um, I had to quote unquote, watch what I ate. Cause I didn't at all. Like I just, I maybe ate some weird diet foods here and there, but I can't really think back. I'm like, I would eat cereal from breakfast, <laughs> like, you know, I pizza, you know, the typical kind of college diet, which I kind of got away with because I never had any health, negative health effects from it. So I was probably eating somewhat healthy. Um, so I, I never felt like I I ate poorly. Mm -hmm. I wasn't super fast food person. I I kind of would, let's just say I was like a, a neutral eater, right? Mm -hmm. Like I just ate when I, when I felt hungry and movement was a big part of my life. Now moving into grad school and then I'm trying to think of like when I guess diet was more on my radar. I really probably would say when it was, when I was, um, out of grad school and kind of starting CrossFit is when all the diets of like paleo and like how to eat popped up. And that's maybe more in 2009, 2010, when Facebook, Instagram, social media was kind of popping up where you're just flooded with information. Mm -hmm. You're flooded with all these diets. You're flooded with all these, um, Instagram diet coaches. You're just really flooded with all this information where all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I guess I need to be counting macros. Like what is that about? When we started our podcast, I didn't even know what that meant. I remember Claire talking about it and I was like, what does counting macros mean? Um, and then, so we, we, uh, it's been more on my radar since we've done the podcast just because of, I, I would blame social media because I have more information yeah. and I read more about it. And so it became, a problem at one point because when I was counting macros, I took it to the extreme and it was really unhealthy. And so I had to back off of that. Um, so I had to kind of undo some of them, the knowledge, meaning I took it to a place of, uh, being way too restrictive. Um, and I just have to be careful with that because that's just not good for my psyche kind of with my history of, um, 
I, I actually, I should, I, I feel like I've just, I just kind of contradicted myself because I will say at the beginning of this interview, I met, I mentioned having a little bit, well, I don't know if I never went to a um, therapist at the time, but I would say if I was to diagnose myself, I did have exercise bulimia in college, meaning I, I worked out way too much because I had a fear. It wasn't really that I was like trying to, um, like binge with, um, food, but I was, I had a fear of gaining weight. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I would go with like the activity and running. So I just kind of want to point that out that I was, I like had a lapse of like really calling that out. But, um, so then moving into the CrossFit world and, and the podcast world and having all this information thrown at me was, um, something that I felt like I had to be careful of because I saw that pattern come back in a way that was too restrictive when, macro canning came on my radar and then I had to back off. And we talk a lot about this a lot on our podcast of how it was really disordered for me. And, um, I had to really uh, work with a coach and, um, a health coach to get back on track to not obsess over counting macros. So it's a slippery slope, but I think that's, um, I have a lot to say about it. I'm not going to get into every single detail with it here, um, because people can find all of those episodes where we talk about it. But it, it really was, uh, it's interesting to see because I also, I, I do blame a lot of social media from having like all this conflicting information on there and then feeling like you have to, you know, all of a sudden jump on the next fad diet. Yeah. Okay. I have many questions. Mm-hmm. Going back to the exercise bulimia and like the running. So how did you get out of that? I don't know if I did um, for a while. Um, because, and this will surprise probably a lot of people and question my, you know, mental space, but, um, I never got therapy for any of this, um, which it's so weird to me thinking back because I'm a therapist. And so, um, there's a lot of reasons why I didn't seek help. I don't think I knew what it was. Um, again, there's not as much talk about mental health, um, back in, the late nineties as it was, as it is now, like what you need to get help for. So I don't think I had a definition for what I was doing to be quite honest. So, um, through, even through grad school, I'd be working out a lot. Fitness was a big priority because again, I was just terrified of gaining weight. Um, and so I think getting out of it, to be quite honest with you, probably was when we started the podcast, which it's quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of, on the flip side of, of social media being so much information and conflicting information is also good information. And so I will credit social media for giving me information that too much exercise can really be damaging for someone and that you should never work out to earn your food. Mm-hmm. So that really, I remember we were interviewing a guest. We actually have had a couple I've, I've obviously a lot of connections in the therapy world. So I know a lot of eating disorder therapists <clears throat> and we had them on the show where we were talking about exercise bulimia and body dysmorphia, anorexia, and kind of a spectrum of eating disorders. And one of them said something along the lines of like, you know, you shouldn't be working out to earn your food. Food is not something to be earned, something along those lines. And it just, I remember clicking going, oh my God, I do that. And, and then after so much time, you just kind of keep working at that. And I did go to therapy and I did talk through a lot of these issues and, um, it just, it took a lot of time. I think that's what people often say. We get a lot of questions on our podcast podcast too of like, you guys talk about like this intuitive eating movement and 
how do I do that? It's like, I don't have the answers for you because that's such a personal journey. And that's Mm -hmm. something that people have a hard time with. I think we've, you know, just swung from one pendulum to the other where all this diet information came out. We kind of freaked out and went on too many diets and now we're wisening up and being like, oh, we just need to fuel our bodies and not be so rigid about it. But it just took some time and I'm still working through some stuff. I will say I'm kind of on the tail end of it, Mm -hmm. thankfully, but it took a long time. It took a long time to even just recognize that's what I was doing because I was like, no, I'm just being healthy and yeah, I, I, I'm going to go run a marathon and, you know, run another one in six months. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize it's what's happening. I think just be, again, with social media, you know, you have people who and this is not just running. It's all types of exercise. It's all types of exercise. But we we yeah. normalize exercising every single day and like beast mode and like, you know, where's the line totally. between, between, you know, being healthy and overdoing it. It's very, it's, di- and it's different for different people, but so many people now train like the professional athletes when they're not. When they're not. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I, I used to pride myself on being like, I, and again, I just feel like I, I could talk out for hours with you about this, but really quickly, I just have the, I have a very competitive nature Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of reasons why, because I grew up in a town that I was like, I was, I was, uh, the only Catholic girl in a Mormon town. Oh, wow. And so I was like shunned for so many reasons because if anyone, I mean, no offense to the Mormon religion, all of my best friends from high school are Mormon. Um, so it's not like I'm, you know, bashing the religion, but the culture just sucked. Mm. Um, I, it it wasn't a welcoming environment. So I kind of grew up being with this chip on my shoulder being like, I'm going to prove everyone wrong that I can do whatever I want. I'm going to get out of this town where everyone just gets married at 18 and I'm going to prove myself. So I had this, like, I'm going to show you attitude Mm -hmm. that kind of turned a gnarly turn where mm-hmm. I just was like, I'm going to get all the good grades. I'm going to be the overachiever. I'm going to run all the marathons. I'm going to do all the workouts. And I'm going to do them 10 times better than you. And I'm going to lift all the weights and I'm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that. I think that's a great quality hat to have in doses, but yeah. it was really like, I'm going to show the world that like you guys all suck. Um, and that was something I had to work through too, but that contributed to a lot of that, like very extreme behavior. Yeah. Well, I love that you pointed that out because I'm sure a lot of people are listening thinking, oh, huh, this is, you know, I grew up, you know what I mean? People don't make that connection, how oh, the way yeah. you grew up can, you know, cause those types of behaviors later on. And for sure, I think, you know, for so many people, it's hard for them to admit that there might be something wrong because they have this idea that, um, you know, you're a bad person, but people don't fall into like exercise addiction or exercise bulimia because like they have bad intentions, like not in same with eating disorders often, you know, like not everyone is going after it. You know, you're just, you think you're doing something good. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So when you're talking about macros, um, I've actually never, I don't really talk about macros at all on this podcast. Um, Good. No, everyone stay away from it and don't do it. <laughs> well, I want to talk about it though. So just, just, you know, humor me. Okay. Of course I will. With the macros, when you're saying, I think people know what mac- macro counting is, but so when yeah. you got too extreme with it, what exactly do you mean by that? So I, 
<laughs> I think there's a, it's a funny thing because I never, ever, ever looked at what I was eating and meaning I never looked at calories. I just ate whatever looks good. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but let's be clear. I was not eating fast food. I was just eating food and mm-hmm. I was eating like whatever felt good to me. Um, I was vegan for a few years, which I think a lot of people do for quote unquote health reasons, but I probably did it thinking I'd get quote unquote skinny. Um, <laughs> you know, all that crap. Um, your listeners are probably by now being like, wow, she's got a lot of issues for a therapist. <laughs> no, I, trust me. Everyone who comes on the show has a lot of issues. Oh, so I have had a lot of issues, you know. Well, yeah. Well, it's funny because one of my therapists once said, nobody shows up naked to the party, yeah. meaning no one shows up to, to life with like nothing, you know, yeah. <laughs> nothing on it. their, in their backpack. Um, so, uh, for, it was funny. So, Claire and I started this macro counting journey together um, just because she had had her first child and she was like, I really want to get back on, um, we we will never say this by the way on the podcast, back on track. But she just wanted something to kind of focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, Postpartum was really hard for her. She talks a lot about this in the show of just postpartum depression. She's like, I just need something to anchor to. And she felt like um, doing uh, a diet and like macro counting plan would be really good for her because she likes that. She can go in and out of diets without any issue um, she's just been kind of blessed with that mentality of like, it just doesn't affect her. So me going into this blindly, I was like, sure, I'll do it with you. Like I'll be supportive. Now I should know better, um, for myself than to do something like that because I know my history, but I was like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Well, I went into it and all of a sudden I'm counting things and tracking things. I'm like, wow, this is just weird. And I was not listening to my hunger cues. And I was like, God, I this I'm starving. Like I was so hungry. Mm-hmm. And I would like email my diet coach and I'd be like, I am starving. And they'd be like, just drink some water or like push through it. And is it really hunger? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking hungry. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, but I would but I just completely started ignoring my hunger cues and all of a sudden I was on this diet and I lost a sig- I'm not gonna give numbers because I think that's a bad th- practice for people who that might be something that kind of makes them feel weird, but um I lost a significant amount of weight on a frame that I don't need to lose weight. And I just remember people commenting and being like, Oh my gosh, what are you doing? So you get all this like positive reinforcement, which by the way, if, if a friend of yours in your life loses a significant amount of weight, please be careful with the language you use because it's very confusing. Like all of a sudden I got all this attention from people asked, stopping me in the grocery store being like, do you do bodybuilding competitions? Um, because I had like zero, zero body fat on my frame. And it was horrible. And I lost just this weight and I just, it started to become confusing, but then I started having really negative health effects, uh, as, as because of it, I lost my period. I lost my sex drive. I was miserable. I was, I was just doing a lot of eating disorder behavior. Let's just put it that way. It was just consuming my life. So, um, that took a lot of work for me to just stop it and get out of it. And, um, that's that again, we get a lot of people commenting when we talk about this on the show being like, well, it really helped me. I'm like, that's great if it helps you, but I guarantee you a majority of people that get into this really develop some disordered eating habits around it. Because as humans, we just have some weird, we got some weird practices around food. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's, there's any way that we can kind of ignore that. Um, so I, I really respect people who are like, wow, this really helped me, but I'm going to just argue that the majority of the people that's not the case. So I'm always going to be an advocate for people who are going to, the majority of the people are going to fall into those eating disorder behaviors. Um, and it may not 
people may not see it as a full-blown eating disorder. And I think that's a, another kind of bullcrap thing to say because um, you don't have to compare yourself to someone who maybe have a full clinical diagnosis of an eating disorder um, to then all of a sudden be struggling with something like that. So um, that's something that I falsely did to myself for many years where I was like, well, I, you don't have to be in the point of hospitalization to con- to have a diagnosis of an eating disorder. Yeah. So that's another thing that I just um, want to caution people about. But it was it was tough. It was tough. I mean, with the macro counting, and I also people who don't even count macros, but calorie counting. Um, you know, how did you start to get out of that? Because that's such a it's hard for people. They're like, I I know, they're like I already know how many calories are in things. How do I just unlearn that? You know, I know how many macros are in things. Well. For me, I'm one thing actually I did, and I may be uh, completely off base or, or, um, one of the very few people who would say this, but the one thing I really liked about macro counting was I, I loved that I learned about food. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually a good thing for me to learn about food because I kind of lived my whole life like, I don't want to look, I don't want to know, um, from a place of like, oh, I just don't want to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Not from a healthy pl- place, but just like a fear place. Mm-hmm. So actually turning and looking to see what is in your food is actually, I think, a really good thing. And learning about what calories are and learning about what um, nutrition label, you know, what things you should be looking at as far as like sugar content. Uh, you know, there's sugar in everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I'm like, I didn't realize there's sugar in these tomatoes that I like, you know, and this canned tomato. So things that like that, I think are really like, objectively, we can say that's really important for your health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do love that I learned about calories and I learned about what's in food. But now what I, I don't go into it with, I'm not going to eat that because of the calorie content. I had to learn that I eat nutritious food mm-hmm. and that's really what matters. And so I, <laughs> and I'm not going to give a step-by-step because it's this, again, this goes back to like, how do I do that? If you got to work, if you have to work with a uh, nutrition coach, mm-hmm. um, who has worked with people that are coming out of an eating disorder, or if you if you have a therapist who's, uh, a lot of experience with eating disorders, I would really uh, encourage someone to talk to a professional about how to do this because there are really good steps in support of how to do this. And I think that's very valuable. And if you're questioning whether or not you should talk to someone who's a professional, if you're like, oh, well, I don't really have that much of a problem. Trust me, it's fine to talk to someone, even if you have a mild problem, Mm -hmm. or even if you need a few sessions to really kind of help you get through that. Because the only thing I can say is I just had to learn to trust. Mm-hmm. I had to learn to trust my body. I had to learn to trust that I knew what food sounded good to me and that I could eat slowly and intentionally. Cause that was the other thing is like when you're eating fast and like wolfing down food, that just, it's, that's kind of a sign that you're like just shoving calories in because you're starving. Like that mm-hmm. should just not be the place. So I think kind of learning about that, um, one of my favorite friends who we've had on the show multiple times is the Stassi dietitian, and she always just posts great content. She's a registered dietitian and has helped a lot of people kind of come out of that mm-hmm. uh, cycle of um, what I would say is kind of more disordered eating. But mm-hmm. it's really important to learn what that looks like for you and recognize that what looks like what that looks like for each person. But I just started to kind of look at it as like I'm not going to think about calories. I'm going to think about I, I'm glad that I know what's in food so I can choose food that the foods that are more nutritious to me, but I'm not going to look at like, well, I can't eat more than this because that's too many calories. I just don't do that anymore. Yeah. I have to, I have to sometimes like daily remind myself of that. 
but I just, I say, okay, that's, that's an old belief. You got to stop doing that. Yeah. 100%. I just, so I had never done any macros or anything. And then in this last couple months or I guess last, like about six months ago, I started working with a nutrition coach and like, like he's my trainer and he's like, can you like, I want to try macros with you. I was like, okay. And for me, it was such an interesting experience. Like I learned so much about my body and how different macronutrients affect me and I think because I've always eaten paleo with all my gut issues and I had mm-hmm. never like pushed my carbs because I mean to eat like high carb on paleo you have to eat like a shit ton of carbs you yeah know? and yeah. so like like just like tracking my macros helped me realize like how many carbohydrates I needed to eat like to get to get high carb and like how you know how my body felt with more or less protein more or less fat like to really Mm -hmm. see that so Mm -hmm. I did definitely learn a lot of very valuable information that I wouldn't have if I had never tracked that you know and you know what I would also say that I didn't love and I don't want to piss off like there's so many companies out there that do this but I joined a Facebook group that kind of um it was just like this breeding ground for disordered eating. So if you're going to like count macros, do it with like a one-on-one person. Don't get into a Facebook group because then all of a sudden you're just comparing yourself to others. And then people are asking if they should track gum. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding? (laughs) Yes. Like people are like, can I, should I track the lemon that I put in my water? I mean, I'm not kidding. It's like, it's, it's just this breeding ground of really, really dysfunctional behavior. And so I would recommend you stay away from that and just work one-on-one with a coach who can be really, really catered to what you need, check in with you, make sure that you're not obsessing over calories and numbers, like throw out the scale, throw out that, you know, just listen to what feels good for you. And I, I do agree with you, Christina. I think it's really valuable to be like, you know, this whole keto thing that popped up. Well, guess what? My body, I'm like a carb person. I, my, I mean, I had blood tests done. I've had you know, all my doctor blood tests and all my numbers are great. I eat plenty of carbs and I feel great on it. And I'm never going to be like, well, I guess carbs are out now. I'm sorry. I'm just never going to be that person that jumps on that bandwagon and people can preach it all day long, but in five years, we're going to have something else. And every new, every dietitian will tell you if you're eliminating, unless, unless the prescriptive diet and let, you know, and you have a severe health issue, you should be eating all the macronutrients. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just, I, that's the, that, and that's what just what feels, feels good for me. So, um, I had to kind of get past that noise as well to be like, carbs are not bad. Fat is not bad. Protein is not bad. Um, I'm going to eat all of the things and I'm just going to feel fine about it. Yeah. And I mean, speaking to that a little more, it's interesting to me because I've had people on the podcast, actually on my, my other podcast was like, so nutrition based. We had this uh-huh. feedback a lot where people were getting kind of upset. They're like, I'm really confused about what you think we should do. Cause every guest you bring on has a different opinion on like carbs and protein and fat. And we were just like, that's the point. Like that's the point. There's, yeah. there's, there isn't one right thing for you to do. Like, like all these people have different opinions. And sometimes I think about this, like, you know, if I, with every, there was definitely a while like maybe like about two years ago when all my guests were confusing me i was like i'm feeling overwhelmed like everyone yeah is, and it can be so confusing yeah. yeah oh totally oh my gosh i had to stop listening to certain podcasts because i was like oh my god now now keto's the like the best thing yeah. and, oh my gosh now vegan's the best thing and oh my gosh now paleo's the best thing and i i agree with you like all the re- they will it is so easy to get research to support your 
argument. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's the other piece that we have to be very careful of is like, gosh, man, sometimes going back to basins. And that's why I love working with registered dietitians is Mm -hmm. because they really can take the information and they're like, look, we studied this all. Trust us. It's going to come back to the same thing. It's Mm -hmm. going to come back to like, hey, everybody just eat some proteins, fats and carbs. Okay. Like, (laughs) and, um, I just want to put a plug really quick if I can. Um, I have a, I think this might be interesting to your listeners, but the first week of October, so it's the 6th through the 12th is Mental Health Awareness Week. And I did a special bonus episode that will be be coming out that week on our Girls Gone Wad feed with my uh, co- or um, with my one of my coworkers who's an eating disorder therapist. So we talk a lot about um, these behaviors that kind of we've been mentioning throughout this show that I think might be helpful for people too, to kind of get a little more into the weeds about um, behaviors and disordered eating. Yes, I love that. Well, I'll release this after that and then link to it then. Perfect, perfect. That would be, that would be great. Um, to just kind of, kind of one thing I, I did want to ask you about before we wrap up is... Yeah. The, the state, I mean, as a therapist, I, this is why I would love your opinion, kind of the state of um, diagnoses in the eating disorder world. Um, with the DSM, like I know when I was definitely had very disordered eating, but I didn't have anorexia or bulimia. And my therapist was like, just diagnosed me with um, generalized anxiety disorder to get me in mm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have, you know, people say orthorexia isn't real because it's not in the DSM. Um, and so, like, I don't know, I kind of just would like for you to speak to that a little bit, how it can be confusing with the, the diagnoses, you know, and, like, do you see that changing? Well, I guess I guess it kind of depends. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's confusing because here's the thing, and I'm just going to kind of rearrange your question for a mm-hmm. second, because if someone comes into my clinic and they're like, I'm struggling with A, B, and C, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, wow, we get, I guess, you know, we can't treat you because you don't meet the criteria for anorexia nervosa. Mm-hmm. What we're going to say is, well, you meet, we're going to explain the diagnosis, which anorexia nervosa and bulimia, um, they have very specific criteria. And just for the sake of time, I'm not going to run through everything, yeah. but you can, you can see this on the DSM-5. Um, and which is our diagnostic uh, and statistical manual for mental disorders, is if they don't meet the criteria, there is another one that's called eating disorders not otherwise specified. So it's e- EDNOS. Mm-hmm. And that just means there are some symptoms and there's um, definitely criteria here that you meet, but it's not meeting the full-blown criteria for anorexia nervosa or bulimia. Mm-hmm. Or any mixture of the two, um, or binge eating disorder for that matter, So, which I think there's another thing that we don't talk a lot about. So mm-hmm. um so I think that when someone comes in, if a clinician is turning you away and you know in your gut, it's kind of like when you see a doctor, if you feel dismissed, if you feel like they're not hearing you, go see another therapist. Yeah. So I think um, to kind of turn around your question a little bit is that it's really it's really up to the clinicians to be really good at, at noticing issues um, and treating these issues appropriately. So um, if you don't feel heard, if you don't feel like you're getting the help that you need, go to someone else, get a second opinion, please empower yourself to find the help that you need if you feel like you need help. Because if you're not being listened to and they're saying, well, I guess you don't really meet this criteria, then I don't think that's really uh, a good service from the mental health perspective. Because if a patient's coming to me and saying that they have, they're really struggling with something and they're giving me these very specific incidents of, well, gosh, I'm exercising such and such hours a day and I'm not really eating, I'm going to treat that. And I'm going to say, all right, we're going to develop a treatment plan and we're going to get the help that you need. Um, but the, I think the assumption might be for people who don't know much about going in to see a therapist is that they have to have all these issues mm-hmm. in order for it to qualify to even get treatment. 
So, and I do often have our listeners just email us to say, Hey, if you feel like you need a therapist and you don't know where to start, email us because I will help you. Mm -hmm. And there's a little, um, highlights reel on our Instagram page that says therapy that you can go on there. And, um, it's like the little highlight button on Instagram Mm -hmm. that shows people how to find a therapist, because that's another thing that people really don't know how to navigate, especially if you have insurance. It depends on if you have insurance, if you don't have insurance. And so there's a lot of things, a lot of resources that I try to point people towards to get the help that they need to find therapy. So hopefully that answers, answers your question. But you know, bottom line is if you feel like you're struggling, someone should be listening to you. And if you don't feel like you're being heard, go get a second opinion. Yeah. I love that. Okay. I have one last question. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about, you know, when you were younger through to where you are now and how you are like, you are a very confident woman. Like, I feel like you're a very confident woman, but you weren't, you basically said you weren't when you were younger. So over the years, (laughs) over the years, like what has helped you develop that confidence? Um, you know what? I think if I want to just kind of give a knee jerk reaction, I I know a lot of it has to do with age. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it's cliche as that sounds, as you get older, you give less, less F's. And I think it just has a lot to do with my support system and my friendship circle. Mm. I have really good friends. I am a very devoted friend. I've got women around me that are very, very uh, intelligent and supportive. And I have, you know, a great family. And so I think over the years, just kind of also just accomplishing things. So putting my mind towards something and accomplishing goals gives me that confidence. And so, you know, when I graduated college and then when I graduated grad school and then kind of working through jobs and getting those experiences of kind of looking back at my first job, I was like, wow, I was really inexperienced and insecure. And then working there for 10 years, you're like, yeah, I can do all these things. So I think it's just, it's a lifelong journey. I don't think, I mean, I don't think I'm at an end point of my confidence level. I hear when you turn 50, it's like the golden age of confidence. (laughs) So I'm like super excited for that. But I think every single day, um, if I'm kind of thinking myself from a confidence level, I'm like, it just doesn't serve me anymore to be insecure. It doesn't, it, that voice doesn't serve me, nor does it serve the women who worked hard to get me to where I am today, mm-hmm. nor does it serve the women I hope to influence in the future. Are there days when I feel like I want to crawl on a ball and like hide? Sure. But I, I'm just the type of personality where I'm like, I got to get out there. I got to work hard. We got to, we got to fight girls. We got to do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and it's, it's ongoing. It's definitely ongoing, but, it's, and, and of course doing the podcast really helps too, because we've got such a good tribe kind of behind us. Yeah. I love that answer. Thank you. Well, I am sure everyone is going to want to go binge on Girls Gone Wild. They, <laughs> they, they, can, they can for a long time. You have It's so- very bingeable. Yeah. We have like 350 episodes. So it's very bingeable. We get that feedback a lot. People are like, I just binge listened to your entire podcast. I'm like, I am so sorry that our voice was in your head for like the past <laughs> five weeks. Yeah. No, they love it. Do people usually go back to episode one or do they just? Oh, yeah. Okay, I love that. That's oh, amazing. yeah. And I mean, our first episode was, wow. I mean, it's <laughs> it's so funny. I actually had to go back and listen to it when we did our 300 episode party mm-hmm. um, earlier this year in January, which was so fun, by the way. But we did our 300 episode party and I went back and listened to our first episode just because I was like, I got to see how far we've come. And it was, it was, I mean, it's still pretty good. I look oh. back and I'm like. Hey, it wasn't that bad. I mean, of course the sound was like atrocious, but, um, people don't seem to mind. (laughs) 
I, I've never listened to your very first episode. I need to go listen. Oh, I, it's funny. I can it's never so funny. listen to my first. I don't want to I, don't I can't. Yeah, I don't want to know, but it's, it is cute. And it's like we're like these little baby podcasters in Claire's guest room on our futon. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I freaking yeah. love it. Okay, yeah. well, just tell everyone all the places they can find you and connect more with you. Yeah. So Facebook is Girls Gone Watt Podcast. Our website is girlsgonewattpodcast.com. Our Instagram handle is joy and Claire underscore and Twitter where girls gone wild podcast. You can find us on all the platforms for podcasts where you listen to podcasts. Um, just Google girls gone wild and W O D. If you don't know what that stands for, it stands for workout of the day. That's a, that's a CrossFit term. <laughs> I, I personally love that title. It's amazing. <laughs> I can't take credit for it. One of my best friends, uh, who actually introduced me to CrossFit, he came up with the name and I was like, all right, Gary gets credit for the name forever and ever. Well, thank you, Gary. Thank, thank you. you, Gary. <laughs> and thank you, Joy. I freaking loved this chat. You're the best. <laughs> You're the best. It was so great talking to you. Thank you so much to Joy for coming on the show and sharing her journey. Claire, we missed you. I know you're going to want to connect more with Joy, so make sure you head over to Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. Check out Girls Gone Wild podcast, iTunes, use them a rating and review, share your support. They're amazing. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to show your support for this podcast, share about it on social media. Tag me, tag Joy and Claire, tag Wellness Wellness Podcast. It always means the world to me when you share your favorite episodes and share it with people who you think would find it interesting or would benefit from it themselves. And if you haven't already, you left a rating and review on iTunes for my show. And if you would like to, I will gladly take the support. Thanks again for being here, for tuning in. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. And I will chat with you again next time. Bye.